Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Isaiah 10. And the last time the message was titled, A Child is Born, which is fantastic because we are in the Christmas season. You know, why do we believe what we believe? How do we know that Jesus Christ is the way? These are prophecies that took place several centuries before he even came to the earth. So that is really good to get, especially when you try to explain to others why you believe what you believe. Today the message title is, this is going to hurt. I'm going to come back to that. <laughs> Next Sunday speaks about the spirit of the Lord and the wolf lying down with the lamb and really neat things about the millennium. But today we're in a, a difficult period in the time of the Israelites. And this is what scripture does. A true ministry is not here to tell you pleasant things all the time. A true ministry is to go through the entire word of God, no matter how difficult it is. And we have alternating themes of, of encouragement, but also conviction at times and discipline at times. And listen, we already live in a plastic culture. We don't want you to come into this church and for us to be phony as well. You know, we've got to tell the truth, um, the difficult things and the, and the exciting things. Actually, I got a uh, text from one of our young adults, and she sent me a meme. This is a great meme. I'm learning meme. I think this is a meme. <laughs> but it says this. There was a time when people went to church, heard the truth, and wept over their sins. Today, people go to church, hear a motivational speech, and ignore their sins. That's a very, very succinct and very well put. But today, we're going to go into a portion, again, that I was saying, a very difficult time in the life of the Israelites. Unfortunately, they brought that on themselves. And God lets them know, this is going to hurt. This is going to be difficult. Going to be. Gonna is a slang. Uh, but I'm going to be here with you, encouraging you through. We're going to look at this in seven parts. So starting in verse 1, it says, Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, who write misfortune, which they have prescribed, to rob the needy of justice and to take what is right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey and that they may rob the fatherless. What will you do in the day of punishment? And in the desolation which will come from afar, to whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your glory? Without me they shall bow down among the prisoners, and they shall fall among the slain. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. So one out of seven is God is chastising institutional predatory practices by the leaders of Israel. Now I'm going to speak about the Israelites in general if we could put up the map, we'll just leave it up for a little while. But context is everything. And this is a period of instability, global instability in the world. And Judah, where Jerusalem is, the southern kingdom, two tribes. right? Then up, up north is the northern kingdom, which was called Israel. Ten tribes. Damascus, Syria over here. Here's the Assyrian looming, frightening Assyrian empire that was starting to take over the world at the time. But the Israelites in general, God's people, were doing things they really shouldn't have been doing. 
Now, written right into the law was to take care of the poor, the fatherless, the needy. This was ingrained in their law. It's almost as if in New Jersey we had laws compelling us, and we don't, all right? But in God's law, they did. You're my people. You need to take care of each other. And they weren't doing it. Worse, they were taking advantage of the needy and the poor and the widows, etc. In verse 3, he says, What will you do in the day of punishment? In other words, have you considered it? God is a God of love even when He disciplines. The leaders were awful. Awful. They were taking care of themselves. They were, they were horrible. But He was basically even warning them. Judgment is coming. You really better repent. And folks, we, we deal with this today. In any society, in any form of government, there are going to be people that institute predatory practices to enrich themselves and at the expense of, expense of others. But if, that, if you've been a victim of that, you know what? God sees it. God sees it. Maybe it's some institution that you dealt with and you can't really get accountability, but God sees everything. And if they don't repent, they're going to stand in judgment as well. Verse 4, what he was saying to the leaders is, you are going to find yourself among the slain, all right, among the, the captives. So the Assyrians were coming. They were taking over everything. And God was saying, part of the judgment is you're going to be taken captive. And, you know, we, we see that even in our country, uh, maybe people in powerful positions, and the next thing you know, something happens. You know, our life is but a vapor. You know, our lives are very fragile. We have to consider that. And for those that uh, are just overpowering or, or oppressive, their day will come. Now, some struggle. It's okay. You know, everybody has different ideas. Some struggle with the justice of God. I personally don't. I'm the, guy that's, I'm the guy that watches the action movie and can't wait for the bad guy to get what's coming to him. So I like justice. Today we make excuses for terrorists. and you know, I, I, It's unbelievable, some of these groups. I mean, terrorists. Um, one of the Tsarnaev brothers, the Boston bomber, his picture, he was all chiced out on the cover of um, was it G, uh, Rolling Stone. I mean, you're going to make excuses for this guy? This guy's a killer. So let's just, you know, we've been so brainwashed in our society that when we read the Bible, sometimes it's a shock. Oh, there is justice, yes, but it's righteous justice. God truly knows who's good and who's not. Verse 4, this chorus spoken of again, for all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. This is what we spoke about last Sunday. I don't want to repeat too much. Um, You can just get the messages for free online. And this is one of those books where, even if you're not here on a Sunday, it's good to follow Monday or Tuesday when they're uploaded so that you can keep, you're following the book of Isaiah. Very important to do. The observant Jews back in the day knew all 66 uh, chapters, although it was one big thought, uh, but a lot of them even had it memorized. It's really good to know this stuff. It's very important. Verse 5, we continue. It says, Woe! Okay, not only woe to the oppressive Israelite leadership, but he said, woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger and the staff in whose hand is my indignation. I will send him against an ungodly nation and against the people of my wrath. I will give him charge to seize the spoil, to take the prey, and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Yet he does not mean so, nor does his heart think so. But in his heart, it's in his heart to destroy and cut off not a few nations. So two out of seven is that this is the prophecy of Assyria. You know, they, they were allowed to rise to power. 
they dealt with, they chastised, they chastised Syria. Remember, us, Syria, Syria, two different nations. They chastised Syria, then also the northern kingdom of Israel, and then much of the southern kingdom of Judah, but they stopped short of Jerusalem. God wouldn't let them go any further. And they didn't give glory to God for their victories. They glorified themselves, they became very brutal, and for that they became insufferable. And the higher they rose to their, their pride and their arrogance, they fell pretty hard. And you know, we see that. I've been quoting those scriptures for a long time. My question, folks, is this for today. All right, we're not being oppressed by the Assyrians, but do we give glo- glory to God for our accomplishments, for our talents, for our gifts? That's an important question to ask, especially as God's people. We should be. You know, whatever I have, thank you, Lord. Whatever I have, I guess he considers it's just enough. Um, whatever I don't have in the future or want something and don't get it, that's, that's his call. It's his call. I'm good with that. Verse 8, we continue. For he says, now this is the, the nation of Assyria, the leaders, the king. There was Tiglath-Pileser, there was Sennacherib, there was Sargon, Shalmaneser in succession. But the leadership at the time said, are not my princes altogether kings? Is not Kalno like Karchemish? Is not Hamath like Arphad? Is not Samaria like Damascus? As my hand has found the kingdoms of the idols whose carved images excel those of Jerusalem and Samaria, as I have done to Samaria and her idols, shall I not do also to Jerusalem and her idols? It does take a little while to get through the, the, the prophetic speak. It's, it's sort of poetic. There's a lot of metaphors. So if you're new to the scripture, it takes a little while. You know what? Jesus used metaphors too. Um, it just kind of packs more of a punch when you understand that language. When Jesus, we did a whole series on the parables, which I absolutely loved. We're eventually going to take them and put them into flash drives as a series. But uh, when we went into the parables, we see that Jesus used a lot of metaphors, and they were also very powerful. With the Old Testament, it takes a little while to read this and to get it down. Okay, But he continues, verse 8 through 11, 3 out of 6 is the arrogance of Assyria. Now, what they basically are saying here is, so if you, you, you lived in the mountains and you started conquering and you found people of the, the plains or people of the valley, if you were a pagan, you thought, and you were victorious, you thought your god of the mountains was better than their gods and you know, your gods, it's, it's kind of a weird concept. Polytheism still occurs even in an enlightened society. But they felt that their they conquered these cities and their gods couldn't help, so therefore the god of the Assyrians was the most powerful. What they refused to do, and this is interesting, they refused to research the god of Israel, right? Um, they, they refused to research, check this out, the Assyrians could have gone, and, and other nations did this, by the way, they could have conquered and they could have looked, they were so arrogant, so prideful, they couldn't learn from anybody they conquered, But if they would have conquered, as they started to get into Israel's territory, some of the scrolls of the prophets, they might have said, wow, they're talking about us and and our rise to power. Maybe we should give glory to Yahweh, the only God, right? The God of the Israelites. But they didn't do that. Other nations did. When we look at Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar, he was a real jerk at first. But if you, when we go through Daniel, we'll see that he did have a conversion experience. Persia, Greece... All these nations, when they went to conquer that landmass of Israel, 
a lot of them were very kind to the Israelites because they started reading their prophetic works and they realized, you know, some of them saw their names in actual works before they were even born, you know, and it was like really impressive to them. So they were very kind. It was a gentle hand when they would go through Israel's territory. Now, but again, the Assyrians didn't do that. One of the towns he mentions is Karchemish. Now talk about pride. There was a great battle of Karchemish in 605 BC, and the Assyrians joined with the Egyptians, and it was the last death throes of the Assyrian Empire. And actually, Karchemish is right up here, pretty neat. So uh, the Assyrian Empire was driven by the Babylonians further, further northwest, and eventually Karshemish was the last stand. Really, really neat account of what happened. So the Egyptians and the Assyrians end up losing horribly to a much smaller force in the Babylonians. But Isaiah, God tells Isaiah to write it down. Isaiah is picking up, he couldn't do this by himself, conversations that were happening between the nobility in Assyria. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Now, I want to take you to something else. We're not going to actually read it, but 2 Kings 6.12, the king of Syria, not Assyria, this was further back, the king of Syria was going to attack Israel, and every time he attacked, the Israelites knew what he was doing. So he was angry. And in this one particular verse, he says to his staff, I have a traitor amongst my people. And one of the servants actually said to the king, No, my lord, but Elisha the prophet tells the king, the king of Israel, the words that you speak in your bedroom. Powerful, isn't it? You know, so for, when you really wrap your head around this, you really find that even through the Old Testament, you can prove the existence of God. How would they know this? Why did a, a kingdom rise so fast to power, but once they, they dealt with Jerusalem on a dime, they all of a sudden lost their power and became nothing? How come these ancient scrolls said things that were going to happen before they happened? That's what prophecy is all about. So I would love to explore this more. If you have any questions, send me an email. I hope I'm doing a good job explaining it now. But it's really cool that whether it's the Assyrians, the Syrians, or us. You know, my wife and I, before we go to bed, we, we get in the bed, we lay in bed, we talk about things, and then we pray, and then we go to bed. But it's amazing because we have discussions as if God's sitting right next to us. He knows what we say in our bedroom. The most private place in your life God hears you when you cry to him he hears you when you're struggling with something he hears you this is the God that I want to serve now in this case he took those private conversations so that he could encourage his people I'm going to deal with them you'll see they're not going to be around for much longer but for those of us that are believers that are trying to walk with him you can't be anywhere you could be in the middle of the desert and he hears you so I just want to encourage you with that. Again, this is the God that I want to serve, the God who knows everything. I don't want to go to God one day and pray, and he goes, well, Joe, you caught me off guard on that one. You know what I'm saying? This isn't the God we serve. He knows it all. So I just want to encourage you with that. These people are doing the wrong thing, but for us, it's, it's a different hand. And we covered that last Sunday with God's hand. It could be a hand of protection and encouragement, or it can be a hand of discipline, just like any other parent. He's our spirit. He's our father. We continue in verse 12. Here's a big chunk of verses right here. He says, Therefore it shall come to pass when the Lord has performed all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, that he will say, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria. 
and the glory of his haughty looks. For he says, by the strength of my hand, I have done it. And by my wisdom, for I am prudent. Also, I have removed the boundaries of the people and have robbed their treasuries. So I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. My hand has found like a nest the riches of the people. As, and as one gathers eggs that are left, I have gathered all the earth. And there was no one who moved his wing, nor opened his mouth with even the peep. You ever meet somebody that ag- arrogant? Right? So you might even have a job that's really not a Fortune 500 company, and you, you got some supervisor that thinks that like they're a god or something, you know what I'm saying? So this attitude, you don't have to be wealthy, you don't have to be a, you know, a powerful person. It's just a, a really sick attitude. It's a disease of the heart is what it is. Shall the axe boast itself against him who chops it? Now this is God speaking to the Assyrians if they would listen. Or shall the saw magnify itself against him who saws with it? As if a rod could wield itself against those who lift it up. Or as if a staff could lift up as if it were not wood. Therefore the Lord, the Lord of hosts, will send leanness among his fat ones. And under his glory he will kindle a burning like the burning of a fire. So the light of Israel will be for a fire and his holy one for a flame. And it will burn and it will devour. His thorns and his briars is in one day. It will consume the glory of the forest and of his fruitful field, both soul and body. And they will be as when a sick man wastes away. Then the rest of the trees of his forest will be so few in number that a child may write them or count them. So four out of six is, or seven, is the destruction or the punishment of the conquering Assyrians as a result of their arrogance and pride. Again, the leaders of Assyria were like, we're so great, we're so rich, you know, we're so wonderful, we're so powerful. Look at us. But they didn't give any glory to God. And, and I have to be honest with you, before I was a Christian, I had a lot of talents. I built things, I learned electricity, I learned plumbing, you know, I fixed up a house, sold it, made a few bucks. Um, I kind of had this, not on that scale, <laughs> but just this, oh, I'm a self-made man. And that's what you think when you don't have God. You think that you did it. You actually deceive yourself into thinking you're wonderful. You know what I'm saying? But then I became a Christian. I'm thinking, ooh, I better start giving God some glory here. You know what I'm saying? Ooh, I was hanging on the precipice back then. But, uh, you know, it's, it's all good. Verse 14 the Assyrians liken themselves as someone taking eggs from a helpless bird who won't even peep. It's kind of mean. Uh, verse 15, again, they were a tool that God used and they boasted against the person using the tool. So we see those verses. And in verses 16 through 19, this is how God is explaining how he's, there was a pivotal point in time. I don't know the actual day. And the Bible doesn't say the actual day, but it speaks about the day that in one night, 185,000 brutal Assyrian soldiers were killed in one night by the angel of the Lord. So, a few things. A, leanness as opposed to the fat and the opulence they once enjoyed. Fire in terms of sin that destroys, mixed with God's judgment, being devoured as opposed to the one devouring. They were so proud of themselves for devouring everybody in their sight. And God said, now you're going to be devoured. And a sick man wasting away. A dense forest also cut to sparsity. So few soldiers remained that a little child could, could count the soldiers that were left after that one event. 
So many mighty have fallen over the years due to overconfidence. I, I do enjoy battles. I do enjoy studying history. In 1942, Adolf Hitler boasted of his sixth army that they could storm the gates of heaven. And then Stalingrad happened. And if you know history, that was the end of the sixth army. Really bad boast to make. Um, and God eventually ended that reign of terror. And again, before anybody, because listen, this is a community church. People are here for the first time. Before you feel sorry for the Assyrians, they were mean. They were really mean people. Um, they started practicing in decapitation. That's how they killed their victims. Dismemberment. They impaled them. They burned them alive. They used fish hooks with uh, rope to get people to march. doesn't matter how much your feet hurt. With those fish hooks, you were marching because it was a terribly painful process. And as a matter of fact, before we go to that, and I just, at any given Sunday, a lot of people ask me, help me to defend my faith. So all you've got to do is, if you're questioning or you want to know, or you're skeptical, go to your encyclopedia. Back up for a second. Go to the, the, the portion of Scripture that I gave you uh, about the Assyrians being killed in one night, the army being decimated. Then go to secular history, right? They don't say anything about God. They just present the facts. And I want you to read, put it side by side on your computer, a window on each side, and I want you to read the rise and fall of the Assyrian Empire, read what the Bible says, and tell me that there's not an exact parallel there. That's my job as a pastor, to help you with that kind of stuff. But if we could go to the, now, the image, image one, this is by the Assyrians. Again, archaeology always proves the Bible. I love it. So what the Assyrians were so prideful, they would have these stones, they would call obelisks, black obelisks, white obelisks, and uh, the stones could be as high as seven, eight feet tall, and they had um, craftsmen that all they did, their whole job was to take scenes of their military conquests and carve them out with great detail. It's not really that easy to see here, but if you've ever seen one up front, they're in museums, incredible detail. So here is the Assyrians. Look at their helmets. Look at the detail in the helmets. Um, what they're showing is how they're impaling the, the people that they've conquered. They're impaling stakes. Let's go to the next one. Again, before anybody feels sorry for the Assyrians, um, this is a picture of them flaying their victims alive. They would skin their victims. And they had not only pictures, but they also had writings. There was no question you can people are not it's not a good reaction you can take that image down but uh i'm just letting you know there not that i have to defend god but when you when you understand everything you understand why he did what he did he was so merciful and he gave them so many chances he actually sent jonah over there to the ninevites in assyria to try to say listen it's it's coming down the pike for you guys you really need to repent so god was merciful but eventually he had to deal with them and here's the worst thing about it, is that the, in the southern kingdom, Judahites, the two tribes, some of the Israelites, actually, they had a, a you know, we have political parties, they had the pro-Assyrian political party. Why would you hang around with these horrible people? What they were trying to do is um, get the Assyrians on their side to get the Syrians and the Israelites off their back. And that's, that's really even sadder because in God's people, brother was fighting against brother. Now that backfired because the Assyrians, when they were done taking care of the, the two uh, northern countries, they actually turned on the Judahites. 
And listen, in a, in a smaller sense, sometimes Christians make strange alliances. You know, well, you're, you're with that group? You're, you know, what, do they share your, your Christian worldview? Or, I mean, you can, I've seen Christians get together not for the sake of winning them to Christ, but just to have these alliances with these just anti-Christian groups, and I don't understand it. So, a, a lot of good messages here. But God did take away the Assyrian hegemony over northern Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia. Verse 20, continuing on. And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped of the house of Jacob will never again depend on him who defeated them, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. The remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For though your people, O Israel, be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant. So there's a huge number. God promised, and they did. They proliferated. They were you know, amazing how many of them were there, were there, which was awesome. But only a remnant of them will return. The destruction decreed shall overflow with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a determined end in the midst of all the land. Now, in my opening, I talked to you about next Sunday, which is going to be, or actually Communion Sunday, which is going to be much more enjoyable, chapter 11. I do have my favorite chapters, but we, we're here to tell you the truth. We don't skip around. Hey, Pastor Joe, what happened to chapter 10? Well, what? What, what? what do you mean chapter 10? We're in chapter 10. It's not terribly enjoyable, but it's necessary. It's all of God's Word. You know, a true ministry doesn't skip around for 20, 30 years only to their favorite parts. A true ministry, because this is, again, it's a reflection of life. We go through ups and downs. We go through difficult times. How do we deal with life in the midst of those things? So five out of seven is the remnant of Israel. You know, Jesus said something very interesting. Well, everything he said was interesting. But he spoke about on the road to heaven, there's a wide road that many follow, and it leads to destruction. And that doesn't go to heaven. And a lot of people are on that road. You know, you turn on TV, everybody has the, it's groupthink. Everybody has the same mindset. And they usually leave Jesus out of it. He said the narrow road, there's few who find it, but that's the way to heaven. The way to heaven is through Christ. It's that narrow way. Now, doesn't mean narrow-minded. It means that it's, here's the funny thing, it's a paradox. It's all-inclusive, but exclusive. So the method is exclusive. It's through Christ. But as far as inclusion, it's all-inclusive. So you see that paradox going on. But even Jesus said, many don't find the, the kingdom because people like to, and this is just the way it is, people today like to find religion. And they think, well, if I pay this money, if I say these things, and if I just all, squeeze all this in on a Sunday, I could do whatever I want for the rest of the week. No, God's saying, I want you to have a relationship with me. No, but I want religion. It's like this, this thing. Men and women try to attain heaven through their works, through their way. And God says, it's my way, I'm God. Can't I make the rules? So, again, it's, it was a small percentage, among, even among God's people, that were doing the right thing and were really, truly trusting him. And in addition to that, not only were the Assyrians evil, but they turned on them. Today we would call that frenemies. You think they're your friends, right? But they turn out to be your enemies. Verse 22, one of the millennials can correct me if I don't have the exact definition there, but I think I generally know what that means. Verse 22, um, so God is reaffirming that this small percentage 
is going to, well, not only come back, remain, but also to be faithful to him. To be faithful to him. And again, this is a, the body of so-called believers. It's the same thing today. Not everybody in a church is saved. Not everybody's going to heaven. Now, it isn't for me to decide that. That's way above my pay grade. But do you have a relationship with the Lord? Or are you just sold out on your religion? It's almost like your football team or your favorite type of car. That's not the way to heaven. It's through Christ. He's the one who died for our sins. He made that way. It's very easy. You just have to give up your pride and your self-directed life. Some denominations will make you feel good and say everybody goes to heaven. Usually, they take a pretty good collection too. There's like a, 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 there's a, a direct uh, relationship there. Others will say, well, you can't get to heaven, but we'll help you get there. And that's through giving us money and doing these things. It's not what Jesus says. Believe in Christ and you'll be saved, right? Trust in Christ. It's important. Continuing on, verse 24. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrian. He shall strike you with a rod and lift up his staff against you in the manner of Egypt. For yet a very little while, and the indignation will cease, as will my anger in their destruction. And the Lord of hosts will stir up a scourge for him like the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Oreb. As his rod was on the sea, so will he lift it up in the manner of Egypt. It shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck. And the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. Okay, six out of seven, God is saying to his people, this is going to be painful, but it will pass. The destruction of Assyria is coming. Now, Midian is, uh, is mentioned. Do we remember who defeated the 135,000 Midianites? The one guy who had his forces whittled down to 300? It's, it's a trick question. It was God. Gideon was a chicken. <laughs> Gideon said, no way. And he asked God to keep sending him signs. He did not want to be any part of that battle. And God said, whittle your troops down because when you win, because you will, I'm going to get the glory, not you. And that's the beautiful thing about God. He uses us, which is a great thing. I'm being used right now. And I say that in a good way. We're frail, we're sinners, we're foolish, but he always gets the glory. He also speaks about situation with the Egyptians. You know, I can say this. Who was the one who, as the Egyptian army was passing through the Red Sea, who let the, uh, the, the waters come back down and many of them drowned? It wasn't Moses. It was God. <laughs> Moses was just being obedient. And here it's no different except for the methodology. Right? The burden, verse 27, and the yoke, and understanding back in those days, the farm animals, you know, you would see yokes everywhere. Um, that would be over their shoulders and it would cause them to work. And sometimes it was oppressive. But he's speaking about this in a figurative form for people. My people are going to struggle under the Assyrian domination. However, I'm going to change all that. You know, I'm going I'm to fix that. Now, here's another thing. For those of you that are more advanced in the Scripture, when the Bible speaks about the angel of the Lord, um, I believe the word angel is malach, which also means messenger. It's a contextual word. So the messenger of the Lord in the Old Testament, some say, 
Well, that's a pre-incarnate visitation of Christ, God the Son, before he actually came down in the first century. If that's the case, and Bible scholars disagree on that, if it was Christ who did that, it was almost as if he was cleaning them out because if they were going to take Jerusalem and they were going to take Bethlehem, they were going to ruin Christ's plan to come to the earth in the first century. Interesting conjecture, isn't it? It was just something I was kind of kicking around. Christ was saying, no, 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 no. You're not doing that. I don't care how big your army is. I need to come into the world to die for the sins of humankind. So guess what? You can stop at Jerusalem. You can shake your fist. You guys are done. And in one night, everything changed. Sennacherib goes back home, the leader of the Assyrian army, and he's assassinated. And that stops pretty much this conquest for Jerusalem by the Assyrians. Pretty impressive. Now, the Babylonians came later on, but they preserved a lot of things. And they preserved the line of the people. So there's a lot of history mixed in with this. But I have to tell you that, you know, for those of us that are seeking the Lord, that desire a relationship with him, again, he's a parent. His hands could be that hand of encouragement. And I have to tell you that in my life, there's been times that I've seen something or I had to deal with a situation that was so daunting that I'm like, Lord, I just, I need you to handle this. They weren't Assyrians, but the Lord did handle it for me. And I, it's not because I'm special and I'm the pastor. He has this for you as well. This is available to you, just so you know that. When, the, when God promises his believers thing, you know, unfortunately, religion does this too. It becomes an echelon. It becomes a hierarchy. Then only those people get those promises. That's not what the Bible says. If you're a believer, these promises of salvation, of everlasting life, of abundant life, right, of spiritual gifts, they're for you as well. And that's what I love about the Scripture. God doesn't play favorites. We see too much favoritism in the world. That's not Him. He doesn't roll like that. Last few verses, 28. He has come to Aoth. He has passed Migron at Mishmash. He has attended to his equipment. They have gone along the ridge. They have taken up lodging at Geba. Now these are all areas right around Jerusalem. Okay, Ramah is afraid. Gibeah of Saul has fled. Lift up your voice, O daughter of Galim. Cause it to be heard as far as Laish. O poor Anathoth. Medmenah has fled. The inhabitants of Gibbam seek refuge. And yet he will remain at Nob that day. He will shake his fist at the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. Behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, will lop off the bow with terror. Those of high stature will be hewn down, and the haughty will be humbled. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with iron, and Lebanon will fall by the mighty one. Seven out of seven, Jerusalem would not be taken. Now, you're like, wait, where did Lebanon come from? If you know your geography, well, Lebanon, that's like northwest. Lebanon, and Lebanon actually has changed over the years, by the way. 2,000 years, countries change. Lebanon is still Lebanon, but Lebanon was always known. I think their uh, flag has the, one of the mighty uh, cedar trees on it, right? The beautiful tree. Uh, Lebanon actually has about maybe... Uh, Maybe half of the forests have been cut down. But Lebanon was known for these really thick, tall trees. And some of the trees, and I actually looked this up, can grow to about 100, 120 feet. That's tall. 
that's way higher than this peak in this room. Um, so that was a symbol when you attributed to men or armies or institutions, it was a, t a symbol of pride, that height. And what God was saying is, I, my people, I know you're afraid, but watch. Like a logger, I'm going to start cutting down those trees. And of course, he was speaking about taking a serious pride, their arrogance, their power, the ability to instill fear into the people. He just took it right out of them. And he needed to. The sermon title is, This is Going to Hurt. Now, we've all done things in life, if you've lived long enough, we've all done things that hurt ourselves. But the Israelites, particularly, there was godlessness, there was debauchery, there was unholy alliances. Now, I'm not talking bad about the Israelites, because I'm just reading what the Bible says. I'm just reading what the, Israel, <laughs> the Israelite uh, prophets said about their own people and the condition of society at the time. So they were in an awful situation internally and globally. It was a painful process, but one that they had to go through. They put themselves in that situation. Now, so let me compare the world to, to being a believer. In the world, before I was a believer, all the way up until my 20s, I did some dumb things, and I hurt myself. And I had no one to blame to my, but, but my, except for myself, but I also didn't have God in, the, in my life for someone to go to to help me. So I suffered. <laughs> and that's what we do. We have no God. We maybe call our friends. We call a professional. You know, hey, get me out of the situation. But we're going to suffer through it. When you're a believer and you do things, because we still sin. I still sin, right? I've got to repent every day. As a believer, when we do things and we suffer and we cause our own problems, there's somebody we can go to now. And that's the beautiful thing about God. I would never go back to that life ever. <laughs> but today, it's you go through it and God's like, I'm here. I'm listening to you. I want to encourage you. You've got to let the process run its course. Some ministries will teach you it's a fairy tale. You just have enough faith, snap your fingers, he'll give you whatever you want instantly. That's not a relationship with the Lord. That's called being a user. That's called being a fair weather friend. But heck, I would do it this way better than any other way. Many still tried to do it their own way without God, and they suffered for it, and they do it today. One of the hardest things for me to see as a pastor is trying to deal with somebody and help them, counsel them, whatever. And they're so hell-bent on continuing in their dysfunction. And I want to fix it for them, but I can't. They have to be a part of the process. They have free will. They can choose to go back into that. That's a hard thing to watch. And you know what? It was hard for God to watch. You see that in His Scripture. It hurts his heart. In the prodigal son, the, the father was scanning the horizon. He didn't go out to the, to the brothels and the, the gambling halls and the, you know, the, the bars and look for his son, but he was always there. And once he saw his son's silhouette pop up on that horizon, he ran towards him and he hugged him because there was a change of heart in his son. And folks, if we don't know the Lord, we are prodigals. We are prodigals. And, and even when we become believers, we still do dumb things. Parallels of decadence in our culture is astonishing. And it's going to hurt. And it's going to be a painful experience. But who are we going to trust? Right? In the midst of it, who are we going to turn to? Well, I'll just leave you with this. As Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to decide to trust the Lord. Let's pray.
You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.